guys out of the book of Ruth, and um, I am going to just, I'm just going to have a a talk this morning, and once I get to the end, we're just going to close, but um, have you guys ever read the book of Ruth? It's four chapters, it's not very long. Um, If you guys have our app, um, you could turn in there, I'm going to be, or if you have a Bible, you don't have to read it on our app, but, but, um, plug, shameless, so... If you guys have your Bible, um, the reason I recommend our app is because not every, um, it just has a whole lot of different versions of the Bible. And so um, if you go to, um, if you, if you go to the Bible, um, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation as opposed to the Old Dying Translation. Just kidding. But I want to read. I want to read some stuff here, and it really started to hit my heart. And and and, and the reason is is because uh, there are so many different things that are spoken out of the Book of Ruth to different people in, in different modes of their life. Um, how many of you guys know we've been uh, Dad's been on a series called Why God, and there's been a whole lot of these. Um, uh, James and Claire had an amazing. Uh, series uh, uh, on suffering and <laughs> we have this like word and it's like God what are you preparing us for <clears throat> and and there is this need to stay in this this tension of victory and struggle that it's when you get too comfortable in one side you're preparing for you're preparing for a uh, to stunt your growth or your process. Um, and so, you know, like with, with, you know, dad shares about when he's, he's on a diet or lifestyle change. And as he's on a lifestyle change, his body is going through this tension. It's this, it's an, it's an inner, it, what appears to be torment. It is pain. But if you were actually to look at the, cellular restructuring that goes on in a body that is starting to become healthy. It's releasing chemicals that are bad out of your body. You're, have you guys ever been like on a cleanse? And they say that like after day four, after day four, if you've, if you've done a really good job with staying on the cleanse, your body goes through something that's called a reboot. And it goes crazy. And is actually, uh, we watched this one documentary on the science behind a reboot. And one of the things that happens in the reboot is that you, your body starts to go uh, crazy. Your body starts to freak out. It's used up all the calories. It has to like start to go for the, for the extra storage of calories, AKA fat. It starts to look for something and it'll grab from muscle, grab from a whole lot of stuff. But it's at that point where you are at such a place of need all of a sudden, all of your systems—it's like turning—it's um, like turning your computer off and then turning it back on. You guys ever—you uh, guys have a smartphone, and if if you notice that you can run a whole lot of applications, and all of a sudden things start bogging down. Your your phone starts getting choppy. It starts getting slow. It, you push a button, and nothing happens until five seconds later. Well, that's what happens when life happens. We just get a lot of stuff happening. And then and after a while, you have to do a reboot. You have to get away from everything. You have to get everything out of your system. And then it's not until like after day four, and we do like these three, four day fasts and prayers, where, where you actually go into this clearness where you hear things and you feel things differently. But it doesn't happen until after the pain after this, ah, what's going on? I just need a bagel or something like that. You just need something. And it's not until you get through all the struggle. And it's not until the struggle doesn't matter anymore. See, that's the funny thing. It's like, you know when God can move in somebody's life when they're going through hell and they just don't even care. Like, I'm not talking about being apathetic. I'm just being like, look, it's just, I just got to keep going. I'm it, I'm so used to it that I'm, 
you know, I'm not being calloused. It's just I'm used to the heat. And you keep going, and it's not until that point where you start moving and the natural, the natural presence starts flowing from you. Um, have you guys ever been in a point of your walk with the Lord where you don't feel God at all? You guys ever been there? Where it's just like, though I walk through, I don't know what I'm walking through. I'm just, I don't even know if I'm walking. I'm just going. And I don't really feel evil, but I don't feel really anything. And there's a point where you can just become numb to everything. And I've learned that it's actually at that point where you do some of your best flowing. You actually start to do things that uh, your emotional side of you doesn't hinder. You aren't, you know, I, I just feel the presence moving this way. And sometimes it's like, well, sometimes you feel that, but what if that was the cheeseburger you just ate like an hour before? And that's what's moving around. You know, it's those things happen. But sometimes you can get in a point where you walk, where you're just like, Look, if I hear something, I'll say it, and I really just don't care if how you take it or not, but just because I'm just a conduit, okay? So it's very possible where you get in that point of your walk, and I just want to let you know, when, when you don't feel anything, that doesn't necessarily mean, that doesn't mean you're dead, that doesn't mean he's distant, that doesn't mean you backslidden, and that's just what it is, it's showing you where you are in a place of spiritual health, you're probably in a reboot, and you're getting ready for the system to start up again and for you have a ready-to-go mindset. Amen? Now, you don't know how long it's going to last. You don't know how long. We don't know how long these seasons are. And I, I, someone said it this way. You can't, you can't speed up God's destiny, but you can slow it down. You can't speed up God's timing, but you can slow it down. Out of unbelief or faith, uh, uh, or uh, just unbelief or, or doubting or maybe maybe habits. It's possible to do that. One thing that I noticed in, in Ruth here, and I'm going to start reading. I'm actually going to read the whole book. So you guys ready? You guys ready? Give me a... Uh, all right, here we go. So it says this. It's a, a chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the days when judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech. Everybody say Elimelech. All right, good. And his wife was Naomi. Everybody say Naomi. All right. It says this. It says their two sons were Mahon and Kilion. They were uh, Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. All right, here we go. Here's where the poop starts hitting the fan. Then Elimelech died. That stinks. And Naomi was left with her two sons. All right, so here you have, here we have people. They're semi-successful. They're, they're doing what the Lord calls them to do. And husband dies. Here we go. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Melhon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Now, you guys know how drastic it is for a woman, an Israelite woman, to have no husband and to have no sons. Basically, it, it borderline renders you societally worthless. You, because of the esteem of women, they, 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 they respected her, but their place wasn't a place that was able to execute authoritative decisions and, and make progress for their family name. Basically, once you became a widow, you were just kind of like, you didn't help society very much anymore. Now people had to take care of you. That was kind of the consensus of a widow and their place in society. <clears throat> which, is why, um, which is why Jesus later, uh, he says that you will always have the poor and the widows with you. And, or the poor and the sick. And um, it's just because that was the place 
so here we have verse 6. It says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that led them back to Judah. Have you guys ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where, and you don't have to be older in life in order to experience this, but you have plans. You have a game plan. And things happen that you did not expect. I think we've all been there to some extent. Um, and then not only does your, your primary provider die, but your hope for provision in the future dies. So what do you have to do? You got to go back home because there's really nothing else for you it, be, because the place of a widow in a land, she really had no way to provide for herself. So she's got to go back. And sometimes we get there. We get to a place where we are, I have nothing. I have, I can't go anywhere. Something that we talk with when someone comes in the church and they're at their place where they have nothing. They're, I have no car, I have no job, I have no money, I have this, I don't have anything. One thing we'll ask them, where is home? Where's home? I don't have a home. Not, no, not where are you sleeping? Where is your home? Where is your people? Where is your family? Well, I don't have a family. Okay, hold on. So, real quick. So, do you have a mom that is alive? No, I don't. Okay. Do you have a dad that's alive? No. Do you have any aunts or uncles that are alive? No. Do you have a brother or sister that's like, well, I have a brother. Okay, that's family. That is considered so you do have family. Well, it's, it's complicated. Okay, right there. I'll time out. What if God wants to heal that? Okay. But what happens is what offense will do is will lie to you and tell you you have no home. It will tell you that you have, not only has all your resources been cut off, but you have no hope at all. And once you, once you are in that place where you have no hope at all, you have, you have no one to rely on. And not only do you not have no one to rely on, you don't trust in God. Like, like, you're, like you're living on mercy, but what happens is your attention of God's level of provision is stifled. I'm saying that's what's possible of happening. I'm not saying people never trust in God. I'm just saying what happens is their perception of his provision starts to get shaken. God, where are you? What's going on? It's funny. It's you could tell when, like, it, it, when you get to know someone, or maybe you just meet them, and and you learn their level of faith is dependent upon their current situation. And like, God is good. God has blessed me. God, man, God is amazing. You you probably have a job, don't you? Yeah, I, I, I do. It's going good. Yeah, it's going good. And it's funny how. The level of goodness of God can miss, be miss, well, be aligned contingent on how things are going, and that is a very dangerous place to be. So, what God will do is say, "Oh, really? Is that what determines my goodness?" Okay, let's just double check some stuff here. No, I'm joking. Things will happen, and then you lose. You lose sight of what is God's goodness. That's a dangerous place to be. <laughs> so here it says here, verse, it says verse, um, verse 8, it says, But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-law, so we have Naomi, we have Orpah, and we have Ruth. And that's that little posse, and they're heading back to, uh, they're heading back to Bethlehem, where God has, has been providing there's been food, there's been some success, the economy is, is picking up. Okay, so it says this. She says in verse 8, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you with your kindness to your, to your husbands and to me. 
May the Lord bless you with security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. They all lost it. That's one thing that is interesting about when things start hitting the fan. Is there's this tendency to want to send people away from us. And that's a red flag. You, you want to take note of that. When I start to say, no, I don't, just go on without me. Just, hey, just, just go on. What, what happens is there's an identity that gets associated with the trauma. There's an identity that gets associated. Like you start to take on this identity of being cursed or being afflicted. You, you start to take on this cross that's not meant to be on you. It's, this, it's a perception. And this perception says to people, get away from me. It doesn't draw people in. It doesn't create an environment for you wanting people to be around you. But it says, nah, just, I'll be by myself. Just go back to your home. I need to be alone. Why? Because if you hang around me, you're going to end up just like me. That is not true. Everybody say, that's a lie. Here's what it says. Verse 10, it says, no, they said. This is Orpah and Ruth said, no. We want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. That's bad theology. It, it is the perception that I have done something wrong and I'm being punished for it. And it says this, and again they wept together and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth, everybody say Ruth. Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to be to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, everybody say, this is, this is God right here. Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she didn't say anything else. Sometimes that stubbornness, sometimes the faithful, stubborn people around you, that no matter how much bad you seem to attract they say no you're not getting rid of me that easy because it's not you that's good you need to find a tribe like that find a people who don't care about where you're at but they care about the god that's in you and that find a tribe that is find a people that are more interested in the presence of God and, and them pulling the presence out of you. Look at somebody and like grab the presence in them and just you start to pull out the presence because it's in them. But bitterness and disappointment creates an illusion that you need to get away from me. So it says this in verse four, uh, it says this, uh, verse 19. So two of them continued on their journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is this really Naomi? The women, uh, the women asked. Uh, 
She said, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara. And you know what what Mara means? Mara means bitter. It says, don't call me Mara. Or call me Mara. Don't call me. Don't call me. uh, Don't call me Naomi. And I believe Naomi is actually, is the word, uh, what's that? Pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. That's why they were excited to see her. She represented what was to be pleasant, was you wanted to be around, but she's, no, don't, don't call me pleasant. I'm bitter. The Lord has put bitter, God has sent such a tragedy upon me. In verse 22, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. <clears throat> and they arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. So now there was, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. That's a fun name. Who, who was a relative of Naomi's husband. Okay? One day Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields and just to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. So Naomi replied, okay, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. So Boaz shows up and he says to them, Lord, be with you. And the harvest replied, Lord, bless you. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who's, who's this young girl over there? What, who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman of Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except a few minutes she rested in the shelter. But Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go any, to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in the field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water. They have drawn from the well. Now, to me, it's interesting where, where Ruth is, and where, where Mara is, where, where Naomi is. See, so she's not, she's not even trying. She's done. But thank God for the Ruths in our life. That when you are going in the pit, and you don't have. You, you feel totally lost. God will bring people beside you that will believe for you when you don't believe for yourself. They are people who pray for you. They pray with you. And they don't always listen to you. Some of the best men and women of God in your life are not the people who say yes to you. But they are the people that say, I know you want me to go, but too bad because you don't like it and you may not know it, but you need me right now. And it's really cool what God does here. Here we go. It says this in, in, in verse 10. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. For you have comforted me by speaking to me so kindly, even though I'm not one of your workers. At meantime, Boaz called to her, Come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in, in, it was the, uh, in the sour wine, which is the flavored vinegar, which is pretty good, actually. So she sat with the harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. And she ate all she wanted. She had leftovers. Um, 
And it says here, when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some, pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day. And when she beat out the grain that evening, it, was, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and she showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over for her meal. So you see this, you see the goodness of God working its way back into, see, he's working the goodness of God and that process of thinking, the possibility of hope back into Naomi's life. Do you see what he's doing? But it's not like, boom, I've provided. It's like, here's a little bit of leftover that I allowed. See, to me, this is, the book is a book about Ruth. But it's a book for Naomi. This is a book for the hopeless. This is a story for the for people who have nothing left in God's relentless pursuit of their heart, though they have nothing. Who he uses was Ruth, but who it was for was for the hopeless. It was for Naomi. It says this. Um, where did the verse 19 where did you gather the, all this grain today Naomi asked where did you work may the Lord bless the one who helped you so Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked she said that man I work for today his name is Boaz may the Lord bless him Naomi told her daughter-in-law he is showing us kindness uh, to us as well as to your dead husband that man is one of our closest relatives one in our, uh, he's one of our family redeemers. I want you guys to remember that word, family redeemer, because that has an important place here. It says, Then Ruth said, what's, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is complete. Good, Naomi explained. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the woman, woman in Boaz's, Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the har- uh, barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And in all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you. To me, that's huge. Here you have a woman who's She's starting to experience little bits of God's goodness. Naomi, what does she do? She, she starts experiencing the blessing of the Lord. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. She just wanted to get away. And she wasn't, she wasn't trying to work. She wasn't, we don't know what she was doing. But here we see that she says, look, I, I got to find a home for you. You ever have a mother-in-law like that? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Another home. Just kidding. So that you will be provided for us. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Do as I tell you. Take a bath. That's always good advice. And put on perfume. Better advice. And dress yourself in the nicest clothes. Go into the ball. This is like pride and prejudice is what it feels like. Um, Now do as I tell you. Take a bath. Oh, I already said that. Now, then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. He wants to make sure he's got his beer goggles on. Just kidding. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So we went down. She went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain. He went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly. She uncovered his feet and she lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? 
I am his servant Ruth, she replied. And she said, spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. You are so what this was a symbol of, this is what it was like under the covering, you're coming under the covering of something. It wasn't a sexual thing. It was a, it was a means of you are a part of my servants and I'm a provider for you. That's what this was, is referencing to. Verse 10 says, The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are, you are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you, did not, uh, you have not gone after younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. When you live your life in a virtuous way, which is not easy, God will provide for you. You guys ever he- heard the, the phrase, your, your name precedes you? Have you, ever, have you ever walked into the company of someone who you did not know, but they already liked you? before they met you because the testimony of your loyalty of your hard work had already had already been there before you got there it's a reference amen it's really cool when the holy spirit starts being your best reference it's really cool when the holy spirit he knows the integrity of your heart he sees what you do and the Holy Spirit starts going before you and speaking to the hearts of people who you have yet to meet. And he prepares them for the influence that you have in their life. You guys ever been there? That's, that's a fun place to be. I actually remember a couple years ago where there was a man who I met. I met him one time. One time. And he was a physical trainer back when this was a Gold's Gym. And he was an MMA, an MMA fighter. He would train on the side, but he was an MMA fighter. And I met him one time, and we talked for maybe, I would say maybe 30, 45 minutes. And he, he visited here at the church one time a long time ago. And I think it was like on a Wednesday night. So then I hadn't seen him at the gym. I hadn't seen him in a while. And he calls me up. And he says, he says this to me. Uh, he said, hey, man, um, I'm, I got a job offer. Uh, or I have a job interview coming up. And I was wondering if I could name you as a reference. And I thought, I, uh, well, I don't really know you very well. And he's like, well, you know, you know me. Uh, and I was like, well, this is like, this is work. I, I mean, I could, I mean, I, I, honestly, I'm not going to be a good reference. He's like, well, I just need to, I just need to put a name down. He's like, they're, they're not going to call you. Okay. So guess what happens? They call me. They go, uh, hello, Mr. Galligan? And I was like, yeah. This, uh, hi, this is a call about so-and-so, and he put you down as a reference. And I'm thinking, oh, man, ah. And you know, in those situations, you just tell the truth. Well, you always tell the truth. But this was one of those times where telling the truth was really painful because you're like, ah, so they're like, so do you know this person? And I said, I got to be honest, like I've, I've been with them twice. I probably maybe spent about two hours with them. Oh, okay. Well, are they a good worker? Look, I... I, I hung out with him like an hour and a half at church and had a 30-minute conversation with him. I really don't know this person. Oh, that's weird. They would put you as a reference. And I said, I know, I'm sorry, but yeah, that's all I got. And they were like, wow. Um, so you, don't, you really don't know? And I said, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have anything. I don't have anything. And that's, it's painful it's painful when people need to know about you, but what they know about you isn't sufficient to create an environment for a place of influence when you walk into the room. But when you walk, when you walk above reproach, when you are, do things in an excellent manner, word travels fast. 
Word travels fast about your testimony. You know what I love? I, I love when I can go to my boss and be like, look, if you need some young men, I got some young men for you. And I have a whole stash of them and they're awesome workers. But it's a really, it's really difficult when you don't know anyone and there is a need. And God is looking for a people who, whose reputation, because of their lifestyle, because of what he does, he can actually go before them and he can actually prepare the way because he's the one in whom they submitted to in the first place and is walking in accordance with his commands and his word. And he starts preparing a path of provision and blessing. That's good. Amen? So it says this in verse 13, Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. Oh, this is talking about, uh, uh, actually, I'm going to go back here. Uh, verse 12. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. This is Boaz speaking to Ruth. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then one, as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. And here's what has happened. You guys know about um, when you have an estate, okay? When you have an estate and your husband dies, it gets, it gets transferred to the children. But when you have no children, when your two sons, when Naomi's two sons died, not only did she lose the ability to steward her land, she then lost her sons, which totally lost her ability to have a current influence over her land. She had land that she had to get rid of. She, she had to sell out because she was basically going in a reverse mortgage. She had to just sell out and die. That's what she had to do. This is the hopelessness. But here is a way where, where there is an interest that there's an, uh, uh, Naomi, not Naomi, uh, and Ruth has her dignity her virtuous lifestyle was creating a reputation is creating spur was creating buzz and now she is going before boaz and he's look look i think i know a guy and he will buy he's close to you he's a relative and he will actually buy the property to redeem what may be lost to your family that's what's going on here so he's like look i i have I have some people, and now if he doesn't buy it, I'm gonna, I'll buy it. So that way we can keep this in the family. That was, that was big, okay? So here we go. It says, um, so I, I will redeem you myself. Now lie here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet, Boaz's feet, until morning. She, and uh, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. So she brought her, her cloak and he measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and he placed it on her back. Then, she, uh, then he returned to town. Ruth went back into her mother-in-law. Naomi asked, what happened to my daughter? And, and Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. That's awesome. Then Naomi said to her, everybody say, just be patient. Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. Now, it says, the man won't rest until he has settled things today. I want to just tell you, God is working things out. There is a place for you to go and work the harvest. Sometimes all, and maybe you're not even working the harvest because actually what she wasn't doing, she wasn't, she actually wasn't doing the sheathing at the first. She was just, she was gleaning. She was grab, gra gathering as the women and, and the men were working the fields. She would come behind them and she would just get the scraps. And sometimes you're just at a place where you're just grabbing scraps, but you grab scraps well. And you make the most out of everything. You are taking every little grain 
of life and you are making the most because you have nothing. You're, you've lost everything. You have nowhere to go. You don't have any family. And I'm just going to work well. And she worked well. And she grabbed this and, and don't think that it is going unnoticed. Excellence attracts people. When you do something that is amazing, people don't, it doesn't go unnoticed. People see it and they go, okay, that's, that's cool. Have you guys ever watched like America's Got, uh, America's Got Talent? Some people have some really st- stupid things that they're really good at. And no matter how stupid it is, the fact that people do it really well, it's like, man, that's amazing. I, have, I would never pay anybody to do that, but that is just super cool. Because they do it really well. And excellence does not go unnoticed. Whether it be being a mom, whether it may be a juggler, because there's some jugglers on there, whether it be training dogs, <laughs> whether it may be you're an amazing accountant, maybe you, uh, there's nobody who stocks shelves like you. There's nobody who can prosecute Maybe you're a criminal attorney. <laughs> like you. Nobody puts them behind bars like you do. <laughs> do it excellently. Actually, the Bible says in Proverbs, it says, look at a man who is awesome at his work. He doesn't work for normal people. He works for kings. If you want to be, if you feel like you're called to do things in front of amazing people, you need to be amazing at what you do. And God will reward you for it. Because the glory doesn't come to you. It, 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 it's because excellence is a reflection of God. Because he is excellence. And when people see excellence, they don't think of you. They think of him. Amen? So just be patient. If you have done the work like Ruth did, if you have worked in the fields... Now, listen... It's not a matter of how much work you do. This is a woman who worked in the fields and she had a good attitude. She had a vision. She worked her butt off. She did an excellent job at her work. Not only did she do it well, she did it with a good attitude. And that created an environment that was noticed, sought after, and all of a sudden it started to get recognized and it prepared her to meet some of the most needed needs she had in, in the societal of what was societally important. If you've done those things well, just be patient. Just be patient. Uh, chapter 4 says, Boaz went to the town gate and he sat there and he, just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over and sit here down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. And Boaz called um, ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. So Boaz, um, uh, Boaz, uh, Boaz said to the family redeemer, you, you know Naomi who came back from Moab? She is selling the land that belonged to our, our relative Elimelech. And I thought I should speak to you about it so you can redeem it if you wish. Redeem it means purchase it if you want to buy it. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. So this is why he called all the ten, the ten elders, the ten leaders over it. Um, but if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to buy it or redeem it after you. The man replied, okay, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, of course, I got I to gotta tell you one more thing. Your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow, that she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. So he's like, okay, look, I got a, I got a, I got a deal for you. There's this land that you need, I need, you know, you should buy. And he's like, okay, I'll buy it. 
Okay, and there's, there's, there's a little extra that comes along with the land. You get a wife, and you have to have a kid with her. And he's like, uh, you didn't originally say that. So I'm going to read verse, verse 5 again here. Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow, that she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land for the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I can't do it. Now in those days, this is fun, now in those days it was custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So, you basically... I was thinking about having everybody take off their shoe, but that might not be a good idea. So, um, sorry, I didn't mean to look at anybody's foot in, in general, you know. So it says this, um, verse 9, Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahon. And with the land I have, required, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Mahon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son and carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. He married her to have a, to have a son with her so that she could have what was lost restored. And then it says this, Verse 11, Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of the world of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. That's what I love. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home. She became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if she, he were her own. The, the neighbor woman said, Now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. And he became the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David. What's amazing to me is, is the restorative process looks nothing like what we want it to look like. And it's amazing to me that as Naomi was hopeless, her husband had died, her sons had died, and God said, but I'm not done. I have brought someone to your side who is going to be a part of the restorative process of the promise that I gave you. And it looks, the process never looks anything like what we would like it to look like or what we planned on looking like. But just because you don't understand the plan doesn't mean the process is not in movement. Your disappointment is just a disappointment. But that's all it is. It's not an unappointment. 
It's a disappointment. Sometimes God gives us detours because he wants to show us something we weren't planning on, on viewing. You guys ever been on a detour? And it wasn't until you went on the detour that you, you found the most beautiful place. Like, this was so out of the way. Now, I know we've been on detours where it, like there was nothing there. But every once in a while, you'll get on a detour that will take you five hours to get through. But it's not until that struggle happens that you get information, you get wisdom that God wanted to install in you. It, it, it wasn't the loss of time that's important. Sometimes we val- since we value the wrong thing, we learn the, long, the wrong lesson. And if you value, Lord, I, this, is not my, this is not how I would do this, but I just want to be with you during the process. As long as you value the process of God taking you through the valley, if you can position yourself, what happens is, is you, you start to look at the valley differently. It's, it's the perception that's powerful. It's not necessarily where we are at that's important, but the perception of where we are at that is what either enables us or disables us for what he wants us to, to receive in our life. Amen? Amen. If you stand to your feet, I just want to declare, uh, I want to speak over you and pray over you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the body of Christ today, and I thank you for the spirit of reconciliation. Father, I thank you that you are restoring things that we thought were lost, that we have actually ex- we have really literally experienced death we have actually experienced things that uh, it just feels like we're being punished things are beyond repair and it's Lord we just we welcome the transformation of how we are seeing what we are going through because we know that Lord you don't leave us you don't forsake us you're always working for us you're always installing hope you are relentless for hope in our hearts you keep going you keep showering your goodness and in the name of jesus i just want to break any lie of the enemy that would come against hope in our life any lie that would say that this is just the way it is no it's not the way it is god is up to something God is doing something. And I thank you. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for for mending our hearts, for healing us, for restore, as David says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Lord, there needs to be joy in the salvation, the saving, the the work where our our soul is being uh, transformed and restored. Lord, let that joy be apparent. Let us look at these things in our very diverse lives. And let us be able to pick up the scraps of your provision, even if that's all we can get. Lord, we are not going to take for granted what you have provided for us. The provision that you have put over the body of Christ, we are going to grab and we are going to pick up whatever we can because it is you that has provided for it. And we will not take it for granted. We love you. Amen. Amen. Just give somebody a hug. And if you, anyone wants prayer for anything, we want to just love on you this morning. Uh, but y'all have a great day in Jesus.